James. Welcome to Bonehead. It is our privilege tonight to be talking to Philip Huber, the uh, known for the puppets on or the marionettes on being John Malkovich. Uh, let's see, we've got the China Stay doll off four me. more times. I, listen, <laughs> I, I don't teach public communication or public speaking. Uh, the, you, would you uh, like us to call you Phil, Philip, Mr. Huber? What no, I was going to say, no, he teaches in public restrooms. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, you don't want to know what he teaches. Uh, <laughs> Is Phil or Philip or Mr. Huber? What Philip. Philip? Oh, okay. I, didn't, I did not want to get too much on a level. Yeah, you know, Philip's enjoying this, listening to you say, uh, is what I wanted to say. Oh, well, anyway, tons of, of marionette and puppeteering work. Our, our guest this evening is Philip Huber. We have tried to get a puppeteer on this show. Gentlemen, for two years, I know Chad and I know James has worked really hard at it. Yeah, That's what I was telling him before we started to record that we, we've had people say, we just don't think people, are, you know, uh, people aren't interested in the old stuff anymore. And I'm like, the old stuff is what I love. I love the new stuff That's too. That's what but... everyone is interested in. So yes, the low tech stuff that I do. <laughs> <laughs> Philip, I want you to be the voice for all puppeteers and tell me why the hell won't you people talk to us? <laughs> I have no idea. Maybe they're, you know, puppeteers tend to be really, really shy, just like a lot of major. Right. And that could be the reason, but I've done this my whole life. And of course, once I started doing some film work and some major stage work, then everybody wanted to talk to me about those things. So, right. so was doing interviews all the time. Hold on. I'm going to get some great suck up points. So you've only been doing this for 20 years. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can you see how the show is going to go? You're going to have a good time. We will be wonderful to you. I, so we, we, we have a hard time with puppeteers getting them on the show and we're, we're fascinated by it. We love pop culture in all sense of the word. We, we, we have production artists, production designers, directors, writers, authors, music folk, musicians. I couldn't say musicians, <laughs> but it, it's, it's, I mean, how does, where, at what point in your childhood did you think this is what I want to do and what led to that? And it's a very cliche you. question, but I was thinking of the questions today and I had to start there at the beginning. Yeah, I can tell you exactly when it was at the age of 15. And I declared myself professional and said, this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> because I, there was nothing else that I enjoyed more than that. I had started performing when I was about seven years old using hand puppets, something pretty simple. I was given a hand puppet. My very first one was when I was three years old. My mother noticed that I was extremely shy. And so I, I'm not sure that was the reason, but she gave me a puppet and it did help me express myself. And... I would hide behind the sofa in the living room, and it was a little dog, hand puppet, stife dog, and it would just pop up from behind the sofa, and if somebody walked through the living room, then the dog would bark at it and start doing a show. <laughs> Can I ask a question? Yes. What was the dog's name? A Spotty. Spotty. That's great. I had a puppet that they make fun of me that has been my hand puppet, that it's just kind of a stuffed puppet. Its name was Spot. James, you still have not returned Spot. I just No, Spot's here. Spot hangs out with me. When that, I know. Uh, There's a been long story that we're not going to get into here. Do you still have Spotty? Yeah, Spotty is actually behind me. You can't see her, unfortunately. She, he's under a glass case, and uh, 
on the lower side in front of that window that's behind me. But <laughs> so, wow. go ahead, Chad. No, I just said wow because I yeah I can see it in the background. It's kind of in the uh, the Beauty and the Beast type dome where the rose held. <laughs> uh, it's it's down below, unfortunately. That's why you can't see it. It's below. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. There are two different levels on that little stand. So oh, amazing. <laughs> So was there an instance at that 15 when you said, I'm professional? What was it that just said, I'm a professional puppeteer? Uh, it was because I had been working long enough with the, the marionettes at that point, which I really enjoyed. I moved from the hand puppets to the marionettes because they were more technically uh, demanding, and I wanted that. And also, I was, I was trained as a dancer from the age of six. Wow. So a body puppet which you don't have, of course, with the hand puppets. They're just this right. much. But uh, so I, I started working with the marionettes then when I was about 11. And uh, I started putting together shows. And I built, my mother helped me build a, a small permanent theater in our basement. And I would do shows and invite the neighbor kids in to see it, especially at holiday time. So for Easter or Christmas or things like that, I would do these shows. And uh, at 15, I actually started building my own marionettes. Up to that point, I had only used commercially made marionettes. Uh, I found really nice ones that were made in England. They were called Pelham puppets. And uh, wood with metal joint, nice things, which nothing like that exists anymore for commercial puppets, which is too bad. Because uh, puppets are a great thing for children, for really stimulates their imagination anyway, and and uh, so and it was for me. But uh, the marionettes were just something that uh, I loved at that point, and I thought, this is it. And when I started building my own and producing my own shows with these homemade ones, then I said, okay, I'm professional. I'm charging for this. And actually, I had been charging earlier, but it wasn't anything that you could earn a profit with. It was like five cents, 10 cents, 25 cents to come in and see the show. But uh, uh, Lions Club hired me, uh, Boy Scout troops hired me to come perform and things like that in my small town in Northern Illinois. And that was the beginning of my professional career. So how was high school with this? Well, high school was difficult for me, of course, as you can imagine. I was bullied pretty badly for that because you're labeled right away that you play with dolls. Right. The interesting thing about that is I built some of my first marionettes as art projects in art class because that's where I tried to spend a lot of my time. And I was a little bit too shy still to be in the theater things. I, I danced in the musicals at the high school and things like that but I didn't really perform in any of the theater productions. But at, any, at one point, uh, they actually asked me to come in and do a marionette show and what I was doing with variety. So it was great, it worked for any audience. Uh, circus acts and vaudeville type of acts that you would see singers. Right. I'd have uh, portraits of certain stars and things like that. And I was asked to do a, a um, show for the entire high school for an assembly and I did and the interesting thing about that that's when the bullying kind of disappeared and stopped because I actually gained respect 
from that. When people saw what I did, they were impressed. And I had a PE teacher that really hated me. And uh, he was pretty sadistic with me <laughs> whenever possible. And the day after I did that show at school, he walked up to me in PE class that day and he said, you know, you're pretty good. You should be on television. And that was probably the best compliment I could get from this guy who didn't like me at all. So the thing, there's only three or four things that me and my two best friends or two best friends and I have in common. And one of Where them, are they? well, <laughs> they're going to be on after this show. Okay. okay, okay. Just wanted but, to is that we all three hated high school. Uh, oh, yes. There's a great Stephen King quote. It's not so much that I don't like people who enjoyed high school. I just fundamentally don't trust them. <laughs> so I, I, you were telling me that, and it was just, I was, that's all was going through my head. It was like, oh, it had to be tough. It had to be tough. Yeah, yeah it was. I, I didn't go back to my high school reunion, and, and I was even tempted to do it, but... It, it wasn't my favorite time of my life. Oh, well, uh, Never let me been one, back either. L let me one up you, sir. At least you were invited to your reunion. <laughs> <laughs> well, I won't ask why. <laughs> I have no idea. They never contacted me. <laughs> maybe they just couldn't find you. Did you move away or something? Uh, yeah, Dad, are uh, you an hour down the road, maybe? I'm an hour, about an hour down the road. <laughs> I want to say I went all CIA and they couldn't find me. I'm I'm in witness I'm in witness relocation. I just go with that. <laughs> no, well that's in he and I he has a better story. Mine is just a, I got added to one of their Facebook groups and realized I was like oh it had been around for eight years my graduating class Facebook group before I was added. So yes, wow. not the most popular folks in high school. So we completely understand and empathize. <laughs> so. Thinking about, you know, you, you went professional in high school, but as you got into it, was there anybody that you looked at? Did you have anybody that you were like, well, I, you know, kind of thinking about, because some people talk about uh, Bergen and, and, and things like that, but obviously you went a little bit different, but what, were there any icons that you pointed to or that you said, oh, I really like what they do? Well, most of them you probably wouldn't know. There were major uh, people in the puppet industry that worked with marionettes, but they were from an earlier, the height of their productions were in the 30s and 40s and 50s. And uh, so if I, I say them, most people wouldn't have any idea who they were. But of course, I was aware of Bill Baird, who was, was very much present when I was growing up. And one of my early puppetry books that I was given was uh, uh, um, The Art of the Puppet by Bill Baird. And, uh, of course, there was Sid and Marty Croft on television. And uh, they were doing some marionette work here and there. And later, I discovered a, a puppeteer named Tony Urbano. And that was the real changer for me, because not only did he make these beautiful marionettes, but uh, his manipulation, I thought of them, was, was outstanding. And actually, he was the only one I applied to work with when I graduated from college with a theater degree. And uh, he hired me. Uh, I sent him a videotape of my show. He hired me just on the basis of that and sent me a ticket to fly me out to California. And I ended up working him, for him for the next eight years. And that was my advanced theater degree. That was my uh, 
<laughs> graduate work, I would say. I don't think that you're not amazing, but you're also, that's incredibly lucky. Or, or <laughs> I'm not trying to, but that they just flew you there and you, were, you, you worked for the eight, next eight years. What an opportunity. Yes, it was. it was. It was tremendous. I'm so grateful for it. And that was the only time he ever did that. He told me he, he probably would never take a chance on something like that again, you know, sending him a plane ticket to, to come out. But uh, it worked out great because I was his production supervisor and his lead puppeteer for, for a good many years. Out, so, out, of, out of curiosity, yeah. uh, out of curiosity what, was on, what was your show on the VHS tape? Right. Uh, it was just my variety show. And that was pretty early on for uh, VHS. It was it was a reel to reel, and Tony was working on a television show called Dusty's Treehouse, which was naturally, but uh, didn't hit all markets, I think. But uh, anyway, so he went took the videotape to the studio and played it there on their equipment because he didn't have even something to to show this reel to reel video, and uh, so. That's it. Hired me from that. What year was this? When did you graduate? If you don't mind. That was 1973. 1973. Okay. So 73, right out of college. Walked right into what you would be doing for basically the rest yeah. of the world. Yes. Years. Yeah. And eight years of working with him. And then I was ready to start my own company after that, which I did. So let's talk about some of the things that you did while you were there. What, what were some of your experiences? What were some of your best experiences? Oh, gee, it was wonderful because he was doing that television show, Dusty's Treehouse, so I got to appear on that. I, I think I did about 20 episodes on that at various times. Uh, he was doing television commercials. He was getting all kinds of commercials coming in with all types of puppets. Again, rarely for marionettes because it was mostly Muppet-style mm -hmm. puppets because the Muppets were super big at that point. And so everybody, every commercial wanted to have a Muppet, Muppet on it. And so I did a lot of that type of work at that point. And then he was doing, of course, uh, just stage shows, different places uh, for industrials and for company picnics. And uh, I, at one point I was working up in Canada for him for an entire summer, doing shows in the theme park up there. I worked at uh, Bush Gardens uh, when they had a theme park in Van Nuys, California. And I was doing uh, six to eight shows a day, seven days a week with that. So I had all kinds of experience of, of performing and, and really it was probably some of the best uh, grunt work that I could do to become a professional puppeteer and learn all the aspects of it. Uh, he did a couple of films. We, we were doing special effects for some B-grade horror films where you would fly little bats, vampire bats, and things like that. But it was nothing quite like what I was able to do later on my own. So there was just a little bit of the film work. He hadn't done, uh, later he went on to do Men in Black, of course, and, and Short Circuit, and uh, a lot of other things like that. So a lot of really good film work. That he did do, but I wasn't part of it. <laughs> what was the what was the commercial that we might know? What was the most famous? Oh, gee, well, we did uh, commercials for McDonald's uh, for um, Seven Up. There was the Seven Up Undeer commercial, and uh, 
So the Undeer Puppet was like a costume character. We did uh, uh, commercials for the California Milk Advisory Board. Again, it was huge costume characters. I was in a, a huge character that was a, a two-headed milk drop and pro and cow. So I was working these two heads up over my head wearing a costume that was about 50 pounds by itself and incredibly hot. And so there was another experience. And, and uh, ooh, I don't know, there was just countless ones. I can't remember for Sears, a lot of commercials for Sears with tools. They were little tools that would talk and yeah. run around that were rod puppets. I was just curious, and you've got to give me at least one of the movies, because you might be surprised just how much shit we have consumed. Uh, oh, the, the, he, Jonathan Livingston Seagull, and he did um, a film called Chosen Survivors that I was working on. That was the vampire bat one, and we had to, we had to rig all these little bats and pin them to people, and then they'd run strings off, and so the bats would be wiggling around when the People were screaming. And <laughs> well, now I want to see it. <laughs> I've never seen it. I don't. <laughs> You've never seen it. You, you just was no interest. You just. I was too busy. I had no social life while I was working for him. <laughs> I was building puppets and I was performing and I was training other puppeteers. I was production supervisor for him for the last couple of years. That meant that every puppeteer that came in and worked for him, I was in charge of training them. I knew every single role in every single one of his shows, and I could step into those roles as needed. In a theme park or industrial or whatever was called upon. So, so you were the understudy for every single role that was going on. Just if anything happened, you stepped up and took the, that is a lot to keep in your mind. Yeah. You can't, yeah. Well, again, most of them were variety characters. So <laughs> it wasn't like I had to memorize a lot of lines and things like that. <laughs> I, I totally get now what you're talking about your master's. This is basically you were getting your, your PhD. This yes. was your terminal degree, though, doing it eight or nine years like that. Absolutely. It was. Yeah. Then I worked for the Muppets right after that. I got to work on the John Denver Christmas special with the Muppets. And well, we were getting there. <laughs> so talk to us about it. Tell us, how did you, did you know the Henson Company? Of course you would have known them, but did you, did you meet Jim before you actually worked for him? I would imagine you ran in the same circles. I had seen him at puppet festivals. There, there's an organization called Puppeteers of America, and they hold a, a national festival. Now it's every other year. It used to be every year. And he attended a couple of those. And I actually saw him when he, he discovered, um, 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 shoot, I forgot his name. But anyway, uh, he came to some festivals and I, I didn't meet him to talk to him. Again, I was too shy. But who somebody I did know was Frank Oz's parents. How did and you know Frank Oz's parents? Because they were also really good friends with Tony Urbano. Tony Urbano was almost like a foster brother of Frank Oz. They grew up together, and in, Tony stayed at his house a lot, evidently, and things. And so when I went up to do shows in the San Francisco, Oakland area where they lived, then I, I would go up and stay with them. 
And his mother was also the chief cop. She was a professional couturier, and she just made the most incredible costumes for Tony's puppets. So I, I knew her through that as well. But Frank Oz's father, Mike Oz, the Wits is the actual name. Uh -huh. uh, I said to him at one point, well, I'd really like to have an opportunity to work with the Muppets. And they incidentally were people that were my uh, um, references when Tony was thinking of hiring me. And oh, really? they knew me from puppet festivals. And the funny thing is that Tony called them up and he said, well, what about this kid, Philip Huber? What do you think of him? And Francis said, oh, he's such a nice boy. And that was my reference. <laughs> that was a wonderful puppeteer I was. <laughs> but anyway, coming back to that, Mike went to uh, Jim Henson at one point and said, I know this guy that would really like to have an opportunity to work with the Muppets. And so if something comes up, maybe you might throw it that his way. And he did, because the John Denver and the Muppets, A Christmas Together, uh -huh. was done in Los Angeles. And of course, they were all based out in New York at that time, and, and London. And so he wanted to hire at least one puppeteer from the area, because it would be cheaper for them, number one. So there were 12 puppeteers working on that show, and I was the 12th puppeteer brought in, sight unseen by Jim, and I worked the entire week with, with the, all the original Henson puppeteers. And it was a, a fantastic experience working with John Denver and, and everybody. And, uh, oh, <laughs> you've got to tell us the story about John Denver just being an ass. <laughs> no, he was the nicest guy. He would invite you into his dressing room. He had the, the puppeteers sitting around in there, and we'd all be talking and laughing about things and stuff in between times. But I love to go on the set and actually watch the puppeteers work. Because uh -huh. again, you know, I was trying to absorb everything I could. So when Jim Henson and Frank Oz would be working together, I had to be on the set to watch them. And they rarely kept with the script. I would have the script book in front of me watching it. And I'd go, where are they? Because <laughs> too busy improvising. And John, you know, he was just, he would get the giggles, especially working with Miss Piggy, because Frank Oz would go, oh, John, John, I just, <laughs> so, and she'd just go on, and, and then she'd just get the giggles, and, and the whole scene would be something totally different than you were expecting, <laughs> that would, and nothing that was written in the script at that point. So. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I've always had with, with Muppets and Puppets, is there is so much improvisation like you know I, I remember a few years ago with the happy time murders that was melissa mccarthy who is a renowned improv artist saying she could not keep up with brian henson and the rest of the puppeteers and that's just something my brain has never been able to fully get around because there is so much artistic skill required with being a puppet you would think they would have to stay to a specific script and not even go at not even go off it like everything has to be timed and maneuvered in a specific way i'm with chad on this it's exact the question i was about to ask you i'm glad chad asked it yeah how does one is it just muscle memory i don't how do you do that how do you perform with a puppet and 
be able to go off script and improvise. Well, you realize they've been working with those characters usually for years. They know those characters inside and out. They've been doing the voice and things like that. So it, it becomes second nature to them. And they're not extremely complex puppets. Some of them have some animation in the head, but it's very easy to operate animation with their fingers and things. And, and they just understand these characters so well. And that's really the, what every puppeteer has to do. You have to get so used to the puppet that you aren't thinking about any of the mechanics. You're just, you're living through that puppet at that point. You become that, that personality. You're seeing things through those puppets, through the puppet's eyes, and you're experiencing it all at that moment. So improvising is just like the next step to it. It's, it's just easy. They can go off in that character, do whatever they want to do with it. And the great Muppet puppeteers, they all do that. They're so brilliant with improvisation. Now that's not a strong point for me. And that's a reason that I didn't end up working with the Muppets. Even though Jim gave me an actual audition at the end of that entire week of working with the Muppets. And I had already been on camera and done all the things I needed to do, but he just had me come into his dressing room with Scooter, put Scooter on. Oh and man. Well, Scooter is an established personality, so I was yeah. like going, well, wait a minute, I can't do anything other than what Scooter do, but I did my best, and it was horrible, and Frank Oz was invited in to watch it as well. Well, Frank has not as much patience as Jim had. Jim was the most lowly, really wonderful guy to work with in show business. Never known anybody quite like him, but Frank is not that way. He doesn't have a lot of patience. So he sat there for just a few minutes of my audition, he got up and walked out. Which is shocking because the man is Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I never thought about it. He's I mean, the epitome of calm. So in, in this interview, he's also Miss Piggy and he's also all Touché. these characters. <laughs> Grover. Yeah, you got a yeah. point. Yeah. He is a performer. <laughs> But it is slightly, in, in this interview is about you, but I, it's hard because you see so many documentaries, you see so many people who talk about Jim Henson, you, we've met people who probably met Jim Henson, we've never heard, I've never heard a bad story about Jim Henson. And you think, how is that possible? Because yeah. you could talk, I, and I don't think I'm a horrible human being, but I'm sure if you walk down you the are. street, five, thanks, Jeff, <laughs> five minutes, you can find at least four people that would tell you how I have wronged them in some past Chad. In some, <laughs> so was it, audio listeners, I am waving my hand vigorously. <laughs> <laughs> Today's Chad's birthday, by the way. Oh, he, we had a whole conversation. Yes, happy oh, birthday. <laughs> well, then I'm sorry. Today's not Chad's birthday. He's lying to you. Drop this, Chad. <laughs> So you may, so what you're telling me is it's all real. It was all true. Yes. He was really Jim that was man. Very close to the character of Kermit. He was really laid back and just wonderful and the nicest person to meet. That's my follow up. How does someone become that successful in the entertainment industry and have that personality? I don't know. That, that was the magic of it. You know, he, he, he could work with people and, and he didn't get flustered. I, I never saw him flustered or, or uh, impatient about anything that was going on on the set. It was just like, 
oh, we'll find a way to deal with it. You know, we'll do this, we'll do that, and and something, and, and he could do that. And boy, I, I love that. There's you don't run into too many people in yeah. show business that are like that. Now, I've been fortunate. I've worked with a lot of very nice people in show business. Only a few that I wouldn't want to work with again. But for the most part, very nice people. But almost nobody as patient and quiet as Jim. Hmm. Again, I don't want to dwell too much on, on Henson, uh, you know, because we're here for you. But I do want to ask, even though you were in L.A. Uh, when you met him, but you did work on the Muppet movie. Did you ever actually get an opportunity to visit the Henson workshop? No, I didn't. Um, yes, and I did not work on the Muppet movie, actually. I don't know oh, IMDb where is incorrect. that where it came from. A lot of puppeteers did, especially in Los Angeles. Huh. They brought them all in to be extras on the first Muppet movie. I was not around. I was working for Tony at that point, and I was off somewhere, so wow. I didn't to do that. Damn you, IMDb! <laughs> yes, did you know that that's on IMDb? <laughs> it is. It's listed as a credit for you. Yes, yeah, it says un un uncredited. Yes, sir. Go on IMDb. Oh, it says uncredited, no. and it does not. I don't think it has the John Denver Christmas special. It does. It does. does? It does. Okay. It does. Okay. Yeah, it should have that, but it shouldn't have the movie. Oh, just take it. Now, just uh, tell us a story about how you were there when the when their fork was put into the road. Yeah, that's, <laughs> just make something. Actually, yeah, you wrote the entire show, from what I've heard. Yeah, now. Tell us, you basically <laughs> Frank was doing coke with Miss Biggie, which was weird because she's a puppet, and you had to take over. You, you. you well, all I have to say is that I was in that final scene in the Muppet movie where there's hundreds of Muppets, and I was probably uh, six rows back, and two, because <laughs> every other puppeteer in Los Angeles was in that. I can tell you. <laughs> oh, we apologize, but we promise when we do our research on people. IMDb is fairly correct, and I, we're sorry about that. Yeah, I, I do want to ask. I do want to ask a question, though. Speaking of Christmas specials, you uh, you worked with Jim Neighbors on yes. some holiday specials, correct? Um, another wonderful man. Wow. I, I I had to ask that because I, I I like most Americans grew up on a diet of the Andy Griffith Show and everything else. That wasn't bad, sir. Good job, Philip. Good job. I, uh, I, he, he was a joy to work with. I worked with him for 10 years straight wow. in, in Hawaii. Yeah, I was flown out every Christmas time, and he, he would do this show, all the goodness of his heart. He was never paid for it, but it was a big, huge Christmas production show, kind of like the Rockettes, except it was mainly Hawaiian-themed. But he would bring in guest artists, and I was a guest artist that he brought in every year for 10 years. And just the nicest guy to work with and very, very professional. You know, there was, there was nothing wishy-washy what was going on. It was cut and dried professional, but so nice about how he dealt with it all. So was this for charity? Um, well, I don't know. There were, there were some charities, but a lot of it was just because of all of the entertainment people in Hawaii. All the, and a lot of them were uh, students. There would be um, students that were, were learning the hula and all these other things. And these groups would come on and singing groups, 
in Hawaii, and they would be in the show. And it was the Honolulu Symphony in the show, and uh, and uh, just good friends of his, um, Jimmy Borges. Um, Jeez, I'm I, I'm getting to the point where I'm really bad with names. That's okay. I can't yeah. think of all the names. I but, was just uh, sitting how thinking how nice it would be to go to Hawaii every year around Christmas for a few days. Fantastic, yeah. <laughs> and it was at the Hawaii Theater, which is an old historic theater, and part of it was to help the theater as well. Because yeah, they kept trying to do more and more restoration work in the theater, so it was. It's for the community, it's a gift to the community and a gift to the people that were, were, were working in the show as well. And you don't have a story about him just freaking out or anything. <laughs> you meeting all these nice folks, you can't tell yeah. us one story about Gomer just walking off the set screaming. <laughs> no, no. I, now, I did have to work with somebody in that show that shall remain nameless uh, um, that was brought in only one year. And he was supposed to do something with one of the puppets that I had, a, a marionette that I had. And he wouldn't learn the lyrics to the song. And it was within a few days of opening night. And he still hadn't learned it. And I know Jim took him aside and said something to him. All of a sudden, he was he learned those lyrics. So Jim would not tolerate unprofessional attitude. That was one thing. And he, he apologized to me. He even came to me and apologized that that situation happened. But see, those kind of things are really kind of rare because when people are working in these types of situations, they're professionals. And right. so it's all working beautifully. <clears throat> right. I'm sorry, I thought Chad had something. Yeah, cool. No, so I was, you know, I'm going to skip ahead to, uh, you know, your work on being John Malkovich because the puppetry work in being John Malkovich is nothing but amazing and beautiful. And, you know, Thank you. your collaboration with Spike Jones, I mean, how did Spike Jones have a true passion for puppetry? It's interesting. No, I don't think he did, but uh, you know, whenever puppeteers work in the film industry, usually they have to uh, kind of uh, train, <laughs> train the directors, the producers and, and everybody on, on how puppets work, what, what are their strong points and, and, and how to use them. And, and Spike was no different. He didn't really understand, you know, what the limitations might be or things like that, but he knew what he liked when he saw it. And it, it's a, quite an involved story. I don't know how he found out about me, except that I had sent a, a tape to, um, um, his father-in-law, uh, <laughs> uh, Sophie Coppola. Francis, so, Francis. Yeah, Francis Ford Coppola, thank we, you. We know he, who he was married to at the time. He, so, yeah. so you were looking for so big, anyway, big, sent, big Papa Francis. I sent a, a tape to him because he was supposed to be doing a production, a, a film of uh, Pinocchio. And uh, I thought, oh, well, maybe he'll need a, a puppeteer that's good with marionettes but nothing ever came of it. But I have no idea, all of a sudden, the producer and Spike, uh, they called up, and I was living in Pasadena, California at the time, and they called up and they wanted to come visit me. They wanted to see my workshop, and they wanted to talk to me. 
about marionettes and see what I did. And so I said, sure, I invited them there and they came. And uh, my workshop was my garage. And it's interesting because in the, in the film, of course, it, the workshop that, uh, that the character of Craig Schwartz was supposed to have was, was supposed to be his garage too. So they, they photographed my entire garage and everything to see what it looked like as a, as a puppet workshop. Wow. We started showing Spike what I was doing with the puppets. And he was fascinated by it. And I had a little Perot on a tightrope that, that moves really lyrically and, and gracefully. And he was just blown away by that character. And I had a violinist who, who plays the violin and he goes down on one knee and plays and stuff. And he had toes that had, there was a joint in the front of his toes and, and Spike was interested in that and stuff. And uh, all these things ended up going into the film eventually, but th these types of qualities and, and jointing and things like that. And basically he, he was offering me the job after he had spent a, an hour or so with me. And uh, I said, oh, well, I, you know, this, I would really like to see the script and everything. So they sent the script to me and, and I read it. And my God, they, the script was so crazy. It, yeah. <laughs> Off the wall. And I, and I was expecting something like The Sound of Music. Bill Bear did with the... <laughs> I thought, oh, there's going to be this wonderful marionette so I do all this beautiful stuff. And it was all this <laughs> really weird stuff and demanding in, in what it was describing in the, in the script. And uh, I didn't know quite what to make of it, but the reason I liked it is because the puppetry in there was respected, even though they made fun of it, characters in the film made fun of the puppeteers, the puppetry itself was respected. And it was respected enough that it was being shown at Lincoln Center in New York and, and things like that. He, he was working in ballet. And uh, when, he, when Malkovich finally got his career in puppetry, so, you know, the, and other actors were saying, oh, well, you know, we could have been puppeteers too, but we just didn't bandwagon fast enough and all of that. So that, that part of it I really liked. So I said, yeah, yeah, I, I'm really interested in doing this. But the problem was he contacted me only about three months, I think, before he was going to start principal photography. In that time, I would have to build all of the puppets I would have to rehearse all the, the numbers involved, which were very elaborate. And I would have to train the actors to be able to hold the puppets properly. And uh, I didn't think it was enough time for me to do it. I'm not that fast of a builder and I didn't have that elaborate of a workshop to bring a lot of people in. And uh, that was the problem. And uh, he also wanted this all to happen when I was already booked. I was in Europe at the, working at the Lido in Paris and uh, doing some other things too off on cruises as well. I was doing the inaugural of the Disney Magic cruise ship. Oh. Like that. So I had these commitments already. And I said to him at the time, you really should wait and do all of the marionette stuff by itself after you've done Prince Photography with the actors. And no, no, he didn't want to do that because it would be cheaper if they could just set up the puppet set up off to one side and when they were changing lights on the main set with the actors, they could come over and do the puppet stuff. And he thought, you just go really fast and you just do that stuff. <laughs> and I said, no, no, this is really complicated stuff. Uh, you're going to want to have this 
dedicated, you know, the, everybody needs to be dedicated working on this. And, uh, but anyway, I wasn't available for the time period. So he held a great cattle call. He didn't hire any of the puppeteers from the cattle call. He ended up hiring puppeteers that had done mostly stop motion puppets. They hadn't done marionettes, but anyway, they built the marionettes, they did the show. And I went off and did what I did. Uh, and about, uh, and then I forget, several months later, I get a call and he says, I'd like you to come work on the film. And I thought, oh, maybe he wants me to come in and do some sweetening. But basically I had just written it off. I, I thought I, I was perfect for doing the film. I thought I had all the experience that would be needed for that film. And, uh, but anyway, it wasn't mine. And uh, when he called me up, I was really surprised. So I said, well, I didn't build the puppets. So you need to send them to me so I can check them out because uh, uh, puppet that's not well made, there's nothing you can do with it to, yeah. to make. And uh, he did, he sent me the puppets and he sent me a video tape of, of the Dance of Despair and Disillusionment with uh, um, John Malkovich, but mostly his stunt double doing it because it had a forward somersault, a back handspring, wall walks, all these things in that. Now, the other thing I had said to Spike at the beginning, I said, let me build the puppets and we'll work out the routine with the puppets, what they can do best. And I'll show you all their best moves. And then you choreograph that into a routine and then you have the dancer and John just learn that and do that. And then it'll be an exact match. Well, it ended up exactly the opposite. They <laughs> elaborate routine and then they were trying to get the puppets to do it and the puppets couldn't do it. So, I looked at this and I said, well, I think I can get just about everything except the forward somersault and back handspring. Said, as far as I know, that's impossible to do with a marionette. And uh, he said, well, just do your best. And uh, he turned the puppets over to me and I had to rebuild them. They weren't right. And then uh, he, he set up the whole set in my garage and I could rehearse with it. And he, meanwhile, had gone off and he was working on another film. I think it was called Three Kings. Yeah. He was in Arizona on, on location with that. Yep. And he would fly back and he'd see, he'd make an appointment, come in to see what I was doing. And I would show him what I did with the marionettes at that point. And he'd say, well, I like this, but I want this, this way and that way and stuff. And then off he'd go. And uh, anyway, I worked on it all for several months. They just gave me freedom to do that. And then... Uh, I got everything except the forward somersault and back handspring. And I said, well, let's, let's uh, line up the studio and go ahead and go in and film. And I'll just do the best I can with what I have. And three days before I was due to go into the studio, it came to me how to do those two actions with a marionette. And there was a separate marionette that was going to be the stunt double. And I kind of rigged it up with the hands wired in a position and stuff like that. I figured out a control for it and I strung it and it worked the first time. And I, just by reversing what I did, I could get the back handspring from a forward somersault. Wow. And, well, I went in and we started shooting and we did the whole dance of just opening of the film in the studio. And then we did the little love scene between the two puppets sitting on the edge of the stage. Uh, Maxine and, and Craig, 
uh, sitting and, and talking. And uh, that, that went really well. And uh, then he was, he was like super happy with everything. And he went off and then uh, they did a test editing of the film and they put in all the stuff I had created and they tried to do a scene on the street with stuff the other puppeteers had done. And uh, evidently in the test, it didn't work because people saw a difference. They said, well, we don't understand. He was a good puppeteer here. All of a sudden, he's <laughs> kind of a clumsy puppeteer. What, I mean, it's it? awful for the budget, but doesn't it just warm your heart a little bit? Yeah. I mean, seriously, it is It is one of the most beautiful moments in the movie is just seeing that puppetry work, that marionette work. Thank you. I mean, it's just stunning. So, uh, you know, let me ask you a question because you said Spike Jones really didn't have, he had an idea, but he didn't understand the marionette work. Do you think that is true with most people in Hollywood who want to work with marionettes? Because you, you, you think of Team Police or Team America with Trey Team Parker. And, and they said, you know, after that movie, they will never, ever work with marionettes again. That's right. They had no idea what they were doing and they did so many things wrong, I could tell you, but I won't because... Oh. <laughs> well, hold on. That's, that, is, it the, is that the Kyoto brothers that did that? Yeah, Kyoto brothers. Kyoto? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. I always, get to, I always say it wrong. The Kyoto brothers that did Team America. Because, I yeah. mean, when you compare Team America, even it's a funny movie. It has its, it, it, it's an entertaining movie, but then you compare the puppetry work in Team America to, to being John Malkovich. And you're looking at two different things. I mean, you're looking at one that's absolute art and one that's built up for a fart joke. So. <laughs> well, thank you. That, that makes me feel good because I, I tried to raise the bar really high with being John Malkovich. And so I, I hoped that it would stay there, that people would suddenly recognize that, that marionettes really could be actors on the screen. And you know, it is interesting because I got the role in Oz the Great and Powerful because Sam Raimi watched being John Malkovich. It was recommended oh. to him that I, I might work to do the child girl as a marionette on set. And he watched being John Malkovich. And he said to me that the day I went in there to do a screen test with the puppets, he said, I saw your work in Malkovich. He said, it was really moving. He said it was incredible. And, and that was just an, a wonderful compliment to hear from this, this director that I admire so much. Well, I have some Sam Raimi questions, but I'm not there yet. Um, because <laughs> Sam Raimi is my favorite director. But well, he's my favorite director right now, too, because I loved working with him. We've never met anyone who didn't. And I've met, I've never, I've met we've met everyone in this, the hemisphere around him, right, gentlemen? We've just never met Sam Raimi. And, uh, but I'll get to that in a second. I'm along with Chad. I don't know that being, I still, I have, it's, there's something about Spike, but it's not you. I think that that movie, with anything less, it's the marionettes that make the absurdity work. I, and I don't know how else to put it. I, don't get me wrong. There's wonderful performances in there by the actors. And John Malkovich probably is also a linchpin of that film of how he pulls it off. Yeah. But it's the marionettes being so beautifully executed that you can't laugh like you would at Team America. 
and I don't mean that in a bad way to them. I'm with Chad. I love Team America as well. It's a different kind of movie. You're not allowed to laugh at the absurdity of that because of the marionettes. Yeah. Well, Spike said to me, I mean, the reason he kept coming back and the reason he had me come into the film and redo everything, he wasn't happy with what he saw. And he had actually come to see me perform live with my variety show. So he knew what marionettes were capable of. So if he didn't see that in the film, he wasn't going to be happy at that point. He had, he had a, a litmus test yeah. for what he wanted to see. And uh, so I appreciated that. And, and he was very particular about, uh, you know, I want Craig to look like he's the most incredible puppeteer in the world. And when I had originally told him I couldn't do the forward somersault, I said, you have to stop camera halfway. And I, I, I will then clear the strings and then I can bring the puppet out of it. I said, no, 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 I, I really need this. I need Craig to be the most incredible puppeteer you've ever seen. So that was, that and now was what I was working for. <laughs> out, of, out of curiosity, did you just go and see, well, maybe I can file better than John Cusack. Did you go and try filing? <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, James. I wanted to ask a question because as you design these marionettes, I know you've also, I believe, designed marionettes of people that are, are very much alive and very, very based on real people. Uh, uh, Dolly Parton, I believe you did a marionette for Dolly. Yes, Parton. yeah, for the Country Music Hall of Fame in, in Nashville. <laughs> Yeah, the, uh, so how do you approach, is it a different way you approach when you're thinking about what a marionette's going to be if it's based on somebody that, I would imagine Dolly may have saw that. So, you know, how, is there a different way you approach it when you think about, or, or does it change anything about how you approach creating the marionette? Well, if I do a marionette that's a portrait of somebody, I don't do it to make fun of them. I always do it because I admire those people and I want to do it as a tribute to them. And so, the, you know, you have to be careful. You don't trade on somebody's professional name. So even when I have portrait puppets in my own show, they aren't the professional name of that person. There, sometimes it's close or it's something clever that's kind of fun about it. But uh, I don't trade on their professional name. But I do it, at, obviously, to, to, uh, to do it as a tribute to them. So that's, that's my, my approach to it. And uh, so the, the things I do are not extreme caricatures. I usually flatter the people as well. <laughs> so I, I know you did Dolly Parton. I believe you did Hank Williams as well. Yes, um, Hank, Hank Williams Sr. Yes. When uh, he was so, young. Yeah. I, I saw some of those and it, they really are, I, it actually made me think, what do I have to do to get famous enough to get to that level where somebody's like, you know what we're going to do? Uh, so I just saw those and I, I, I was amazed and it, it's really, and so I, I had that question about, you know, what's the difference between creating based on someone versus creating something that is your own creation. So well, what's unique about the marionettes is they aren't built to, built to be just a generic marionette with a face that looks like somebody. They're built to be that personality. So what I do, I watch the movements of that person, I try and get inside their personality and character, and then I actually build the puppet to perform in that style. And uh, you, you do things with the jointing sometimes that, that causes them to move 
in a particular way. Now, when I saw Hank Williams Sr. on stage as a young man performing, he was really, really animated. And that's why I said, oh my God, I have to do the marionette of him for this show because I just, I thought he was just incredible on stage and I knew that I could get that type of action in the marionette. Let's jump a little bit. I have a question. So you worked for eight or nine years and then you started your own business. So yes. how did you do that? That takes a lot as a son of a former, of a former of a small business owner. People don't realize just what misery that is. Thought you were getting ready to break into when I was a son of a preacher, man. <laughs> like, no, no, no. The only one who could ever reach me <laughs> was the son of a preacher. Anyway, so what misery that can be. I mean, everybody talks about it being your own boss, but it also means that if you didn't get work this week, you didn't eat, you didn't get to, you didn't make any money, right? There's not someone, there's not someone paying you continuously. You're not on someone else's payroll. In show business, you can multiply that times two and puppeteer, you can multiply it times 10. It's really hard because puppeteers don't, they sometimes have to find their market. They aren't just given a market. Uh, I worked at the Magic Castle in Hollywood, and I was the first marionette operator, I think, to, to perform there because mm-hmm. I had to f- almost force my way in. I had to bug them so much that they finally auditioned me and wanted me in there. And uh, going back to Europe, I mean, there was a period of time when variety marionettes were extremely popular in Europe, and they were all over the place. And then they disappeared completely. So nobody knew about them. So I had to try and open up that market again for myself when I got into Europe, working in, in variety theaters in Germany and in, in cabarets and nightclubs in France and in Switzerland as well. So uh, yes, it's really hard to, to start your own company and, and you're doing just about whatever you can. But at the same time, I started this with my partner, David Alexander, And he really admired what I did, but he felt I I had a special market and that was an adult market, not a children's market. And the children's market is what everybody tries to force you into if you're a puppeteer. You're offered children's birthday parties, you're offered bar mitzvah parties, all of these things, and that's it. And instead, I wanted to be performing, I I performed, touring in in florida in the in the senior centers and things like that but i also finally got onto cruise ships and cruise ships is an adult market especially the ships that i was working on they were the high-end ships there were no children on these ships they were wealthy people who can afford to do world cruises and and stay on the ships for a long period of time and they've seen everything they're very jaded they, they go to Broadway shows at a regular basis, and, and uh, so they don't accept junk, even though cruise ship entertainers had a, had a reputation sometimes of being the entertainers that were on their way down or on their way up, and I guess I was on my way up, but still, I maintained a good living. I worked for 35 years on the ships and uh, made a very good living with that. And then in between, I was allowed to do the movies and the stage work that I did, the Broadway show with Tommy Toon, Oscar Alley, and, and all, all sorts of things like that. So 
the, the ships kept me on a steady basis because I could get onto a ship almost any time. And then they changed. Then suddenly they bring in new entertainment directors and they go, why would I bring on puppets? Mm-hmm. I aren't interested in puppets. It doesn't matter that you've already been working on these ships for years and you're one of the highest rated acts. All of a sudden this new entertainment director, no, you're not appropriate. So right. there you go. I'm off ships. But actually, I was bumped off the ships right before the COVID-19 came in, so it's just fine. <laughs> get- well, I've got to ask, so you are from Northern Illinois. I don't know your background, but it doesn't sound like you were a world traveler growing up. This is at least to give you a, the chance you've seen the world, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I never expected to be able to do this. No, I, I, my father died when I was eight years old. My mother raised me as a single parent. We never had a lot of money. We were really scraping by. I mean, when I was charging 25 cents for kids to come in and see my show, well, that was my spending money that I would earn from that. So, it, it no, I was not a world traveler. I had a, a good friend who was, and, and I thought, oh, how grand that he got to see all these things around the world. But once I started on ships, I, I've been to almost every place where a ship can port. I've been to those countries. And uh, even the last one I got to go to was Antarctica, right towards the end of my career in ships. So that was that was a great experience for me. But uh, yeah, I'm so grateful that I've been able to do that. I, I haven't been on. I'm sorry, James. Go ahead. Well, I was actually going to say, and that was actually you mentioned doing Mary Network in in Europe and all of that. That actually was something I wanted to bring up. Was what is it? Because my. Uh, my son, one of his favorite places to go when we're in Atlanta, it's the Center for Puppetry Arts there, I believe. Yes. Uh, I we love that. There. We love right. that place. Uh, and it's, and, and matter of fact, when I said I was interviewing someone who did Mary Network, my son is eight and he goes, can I come? And I'm like, no. Uh, <laughs> I was like, you'll, you'll be able to watch it later. Uh, but the, what is it about, because that's what I think my son realized the first time we took him to the Center for Puppetry Arts, Puppets are international. Marionettes are, you know, there's something about this that it cuts across language, it cuts across cultures, it cuts, a, and that's one of the things he loved walking through that center and saying, oh, this is from Japan, and this is from, so what is it in your experience that you can go to Europe and it cuts across that, you know, there's, it, it, it lowers cultural barriers. What, what about puppetry does that? Well, it's, it is universal. Most I, I, almost every country has a history of puppetry. Some of them have lost track of their history of puppetry. And in some countries, the history of puppetry is, is not old enough for them to think of it in terms of true theater, which is part of the problem of the United States. It tended to be that puppetry was thought of as, oh, it goes into the schools, school right. assembly programs or parties, or else it was uh, uh, just for television and children's television shows. And as much as I love the Muppets, but, but Sesame Street, of course, establishes that again. And that's why Jim wanted to do things like the Muppet Show, because he knew that puppetry was universal and for any age. But you had to get it out there in front of people for them to understand that. And uh, it's still, I have a lot of places that wouldn't hire me in the United States because they think it, I'm going to be doing something for children. 
So I want to ask a question. Um, you mentioned 1930s uh, marionette stuff was your inspir uh, was your inspiration. Are you familiar with the lime juice mystery? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. And what's your thoughts on that? Well, so well what, 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 what have you explained it to us? Because the <laughs> well, other we two. We were going to get there. So the lime juice mystery, um, uh, the, it's a mystery. The other two assholes don't know what the lime juice <laughs> so, mystery is. Other uh, than Phil stuff, you put the lime in the coconut, you drink the bowl up. Past so Philip, that, I'm confused. Uh, to to give Joe to give you to give to be completely honest, when you mentioned 1930s was movies was your inspiration, my brain started moving. I'm like, I know I saw a marionette movie when I was young about Japanese marionettes in an opium den. And while we've been talking, I've been looking for it, and I finally found it. It's it's called the lime juice lime juice mystery, or um, the other title is. Um, who's the, the the mystery of who stole grandfather's porridge? Oh gosh, I couldn't come up with the subtitle. I'm sorry. They're, yeah. they're Chinese, actually, not Japanese. Yeah. So, oh, sorry, sorry. Um, so yeah, it's it it's it all it's takes like place. It's a detective story of of the 1930s. Philip, you correct the hell out of him. Yeah, because I don't remember <laughs> anything about it. I mean, I'm literally I'm literally putting pieces together as I'm talking to you. And I just remember, um, you know, the fact that it, it, you know, there was like a big brawl. The, a marionette changes from a geisha to like this, like elaborate costume. And then there's, there's a bunch of people banging, a bunch of marionettes banging on drums. And I just remember it being stunning when I was younger. So I didn't know what your opinion was. It, it's interesting, but for me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so uh, manipulation oriented and, and really fine manipulation. So it, it's hard for me because I see some of these older films and and they were pretty loose and loosey-goosey with the marionettes and a lot of bouncing around and, yeah and it don't look like they're really walking at various times and and that bothers me i i appreciate the fact that that sometimes they made beautiful puppets and and they did lots of fun things with them you know i just wanted to see that that little bit more work with with getting them so they were really refined and 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 there was a was puppeteer that worked in the early television, Mary Chase, and she she married later and became Mary Chase Lombard, and I actually have one of her puppet heads behind me again under a glass case. But she created puppets that were Fearless Fosdick, and it's kind of on the same level. But these were in the 1950s, and she also did Little Abner. The, the comic strip Little Abner, all done with marionettes. Beautiful, beautiful marionettes. Now she tried very hard to get good manipulation and for the most part there was. Every once in a while there's something that, that would be a little bit uh, awkward. But uh, I, I prefer her, her stuff to, to even the, the lime juice one. <laughs> I'm sorry. It, it was it was just random. It like I literally had a flashback in my head because I was like trying while we were talking Who about John Malkovich. <laughs> Man, don't even get started. You know, like I said, my 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 movie watching history as a child was very messed up. So yeah, no, it was like all because in my mind when I was thinking of marionette movies, I'm like, okay, there's being John Malkovich, Team America. There's that intro scene in Private Parts. <laughs> And then there was this black and white movie that I came up with and I just couldn't, I, 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 while we were talking, I'm like, what is it? What is it? What is it? It could, it was like an earwig that just couldn't get out of my head. So I had to bring yeah. it up to you. I there are 1930s films that they used marionettes in, which are very interesting to see. One is called I Am Suzanne. 
and the other is called Artists and Models. Artists and Models. And Artists and Models was done, all the puppeteers were working on a bridge that was 30 feet up in the air in a studio under those hot, hot lights that they had back then. And the strings were so long on the puppets that they actually had to anticipate the movement for choreography. They had to anticipate if the puppet was speaking to pull the string like a, a quarter, uh, half a second of, or a second before because the stretch of the string would delay the movement of the puppets below. I can't even imagine what- it Sounds what awful. <laughs> I mean, but it's also high art. I mean, the artistry that went into, that's amazing. It's, yes, and they were large puppets. They were almost uh, probably about 32 inches tall. How did, how did just the actual, and this is something, and maybe it's just because I'm a big fat guy and I don't want to be uncomfortable. <laughs> but, and this is a legitimate question. I started out, well, it's, it's true. I am a big dude. But the physicality and keeping yourself, you're either doing this, you're doing this. I mean, it's all uncomfortable. You're never comfortable. And I wasn't going to ask it at first, but you just brought that up and I can't let it go because. I was going to ask, so how the hell do you tie your shoes nowadays? <laughs> well, it's not necessarily that, <laughs> but you have to be. I wouldn't say in, I don't know if you have to be in shape, but you're never comfortable doing your art. Yeah, you right? have to be in good shape. You have to keep yourself flexible. I do stretching exercises all the time when I'm performing before any show. And when I was working on the set for Oz the Great and Powerful and for Bean John Malkovich, yeah, I was, I was doing those kind of exercises as well because yeah, you, you, you're, you're never comfortable. And, and holding the puppets and sometimes you, uh, the great thing about when I worked out with Oz the Great and Powerful is that they understood what it took and they would actually have uh, like the assistant director would bring in a C-stand and set it up so that I could clamp the control of the puppet in that so that they could just do the lighting with the, with the C-stand holding the puppet instead of me standing there for hours holding the puppet while they got yeah. light. While James Franco was off in his trailer writing his next novel and working on three other <laughs> movies and, and, and doing live poetry readings all at the same time. He always had his face in a book, always, when he wasn't on set, yeah. <laughs> when he wasn't on camera. <laughs> but, uh, so that leads me, I just, I want to say the appreciation of the physicality of that job, I just can't imagine. I just well, the interesting thing is, you know, um, again, Sam Raimi understood that, and he, he knew enough about puppetry working with special effects, I guess, in the Spider-Man films and things like that. Evil Dead. The man started out in, with the Evil Dead. In the, evil, yes. the Evil Dead trilogy. I mean, they're all puppets. Yeah. He, he, the first day I was on the set, he had me meeting with all the, the set people, and they were to work out where I needed to stand to be able to work China Girl at various times for the scenes and where they might have to remove parts of the wall and I would have to reach through the wall to work her and things like that. And he was always trying to have that thing set out ahead of time so I wouldn't be in a bad situation where I would be waiting a long time in, in an uncomfortable position and stuff like that. And, and I did have to work all different ways of of hanging through walls and and at one point they did have me 
way up on the top of the set uh, with a safety harness on, leaning over the edge and flying a monkey. Because I had a monkey puppet that they also wanted to get some film on to use uh, for Findlay as well. And uh, it, was, it was an experience. I'm not great with heights, so that was, I didn't enjoy that so much. Well, I was about to say that, yes, you saying that, my, my blood pressure went up because I felt the same way about heights. I was like, no, we can't, we can't be doing that. Yeah, well, especially when you're leaning like that. I mean, the, the tendency is you're just going to go the rest of the way. You're going to go right on over. <laughs> wow. Well, you told us how you got the job now's my time to say what's your best Sam Raimi story and we've heard some doozies none of them are bad it's just about his sense of humor and how great he was to work with well yeah he's wonderful to work with but he loves to give a lot of freedom to the actors to improvise and so what you end up having to do I mean for me I was trying to look at storyboards I told him up front I said any storyboards you can give me it's great because then I find out what the marionette needs to do and I can string it, especially for those movements before I come into the scene. But the tendency was that I would get into a scene and, and the other actors would want to improvise something. And then he'd say, okay, let's do it that way. And then he didn't do the whole improvised scene. And, and I wouldn't have rehearsed anything. And one time there was a scene that was cut from the film because there was a lot of things that were changed. The China girl was actually the protagonist. She was the hero, which is interesting, but she, it later went to Glinda instead, that position. But it, there was an early time where I was in this scene and she was performing and she had to climb up the stairway and go into a wagon. And there were curtains on the back of the wagon, so she had to duck through these curtains and everything when she'd get up to the, the top. Well, the stairway was made out of a barrel and a box, and it was all irregular. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine if you're working a marionette and you're going up a regular stairway and you know the height of each one of the steps, so you can kind of start to get a rhythm going and, and get, get those feet to land where they need to go. And I started to rehearse with her on this stairway, and Sam came over to me and he said, oh, you know, we aren't going to have her go up that stairway. He said, we're just going to cut, and she's going to suddenly be up in the in the wagon. And I said, oh, great, you know, that makes it a lot easier for me. So I'm working on the scene and, and uh, we're rolling with the cameras and I have an ear, earwig in and he says into my earwig while I'm on the scene, he says, go ahead and go up the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm like panicked. But I go, okay, and, and she just goes. She, I fly with her, and she, she hit every one of the steps, and she dove through the curtains, and, and Sam yells, cut, and the assistant director goes, can't get any better than that. And I just said, what just happened? You know, I couldn't have done it again if I would have <laughs> my life depended on it. But uh, there it was. You, you do what you have to do under these circumstances. Why is more than one time where that happened just because Sam would tell me something in my ear and, and I would, okay, I have to try and do it. Sometimes it works, sometimes it didn't. <laughs> why, why is he your favorite? Why was he your favorite director? Because he really appreciated the work I was doing and he let me know it. Uh, within a week of me working on the set, he said, I've fallen in love with her. <laughs> and 
that's what a puppeteer wants to hear. Suddenly this, you've been put a personality into this little inanimate thing, a personality that has come across so that technicians on the set and Sam, they, they were looking at her as being real. Sam was directing her sometimes on the set, not me. He was talking to her and the other actors would really get involved with her. And that, that was the point. She was there so the actors could really get involved with her as a personality and not just as like a tennis ball on a stick, which is what usually happens with CG characters that are in a film. Yeah, I, I was about to say that th that character is is phenomenal. My wife is a huge Oz fan, the the books and all that stuff, and and she loves that film. I think we have about three different versions on DVD, Blu-ray, and all that stuff now. And it's there's there's something about you know when I heard Sam Raimi was going to do it, I was like, oh, Sam Raimi, and and he kept something there, and and I, I think not just using CG is something that Sam Raimi does well. Uh, yeah, and, well, and, they wanted to use the marionette if possible, but the trouble is it, it was just too difficult. What you what you don't realize, you think, okay, I was in a, a green screen, or bl sorry, blue screen outfit. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they were wiping me out, the technicians there, they, they had all the equipment and stuff. And so they could show him uh, a, a scene with, with me wiped out and stuff. But you you had to wipe out the strings, you had to about the shadows from the strings, my shadow, all these things that, that happen as well. And that's why there were very few places. The very first scene that China Girl appears in, part of that is the actual marionette. And then they put a CG face of mm -hmm. Joey, who was the, the little girl who was actually the voice for China Girl. And, but part of that is the actual marionette. And that's the only place really, because the rest of the time they, they just wiped her out and, and put on the, the CG character over it. But they did use your movements, right? They just put the CG yes. over it. Right. Yeah, the performance that I gave, they, they did. Uh, it's Troy, by performance capture. Troy Saliba was the one that was in charge of the animation that was gonna be in the film. And he's the one who had rec recommended me to Sam to begin with. And he was on set all the time and he was watching what I was doing with the puppet. And he kept saying to me, wow, you know, you're giving the animators so much material to work with here. And, and Sam just had me go off and they would record me doing everything with China Girl they could think of, just offset even. She would right. climb for things and stuff. So they would find out exactly how she moved in all these different situations. Yeah. I just yeah, oh, I go ahead. Wanted, I, uh, go real ahead. quick, James, before you go, I do want to talk about China Doll for one moment because she does have, in my terms, the best part in that whole movie. She does have the best part. In the yeah, because I, you know, every time I see her pull that knife, I still laugh. I've watched the movie four or five times. Um, you know, uh, you know, I got to tell you this story. One time, uh, my daughter, Philip, uh, for the first time, the first time ever, she looked at me and says, "Daddy, I want to stay up all night with you." I said, okay, honey, we'll stay up all night. Daddy, can we watch movies all night? Sure, honey. Um, at the 12 p.m. midnight hour is when I introduced her to Frank, or uh, to, uh, you know, the Oz, the great and powerful. And she was almost asleep. I'm like, I'm going to go, I'll get to go to sleep. She's not going to make it. 
and then the knife comes out and i'd make the heart the biggest belly laugh wake her up i'm up for another two hours but she loves the movie and china china doll is her favorite part of that movie <laughs> so i did i had to tell you that story <laughs> That's great. You know, it's interesting because that, that little knife, I actually, you know, I knew she had to do that. So I rigged a little knife. I actually made a little knife out of something and I, I rigged it in her costume and stuff so that she could pull it out. And, and uh, I showed Sam right before and the guy who's in charge of props was standing there and he goes, well, that's not the knife. <laughs> he had made a beautiful little knife. So, all of my work, I had to undo it, and I had to use the little. Oh. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm telling you, there's a scene later. He would later go back and direct Ash versus Evil Dead, which is a stars show, and he directed the pilot. There's a scene with a little doll that is almost completely China girl, right out of Oz the Great and Powerful. He just no kidding. It. Yeah, if you get oh, a chance, yeah. if you get a chance, it's on. If you have Netflix, okay. Just watch the pilot. You may you do not strike me as a person who's into horror films. Just watch the pilot. <laughs> Just watch the pilot. Just for that, you're gonna. And then feel free to email me or text me or something later. Going, Joe. Yeah, you're right because it. He pulled it right out of it. Same thing. Well, why didn't he hire me to do? <laughs> I don't know. You could have got to go to New Zealand. I'm pretty sure it was shot in New Zealand. Oh. Oh, yeah, I, I wrote to him at a time when he was in New Zealand. <laughs> As a matter of fact, but, oh, darn, yeah. Well, hey, if you if you ever want to put in a good word for him doing Bonehead Weekly, just let us know. And then we'll <laughs> let him know that you, 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 you want to do more. So, joking aside, James, you have one other question? I, I wanted to ask about, um, I, I was perusing your website, and I wanted to ask about Taffy. Because yeah. you do have, so can, can we get a little bit of story about uh, uh, Taffy, where Taffy came from, and, and why Taffy is so important? Well, um, I, I grew up with dogs. I had a dog when I was, my parents got a collie when I was born, and they gave, they, uh, I grew up with that collie. She was my guardian, and, and so I've always had an affinity with dogs. And I had built all these different marionettes, but I had never built a dog. So I decided to build this dog, and I did what I thought would be the perfect marionette. Little short, stubby legs, but long fur, ears that were floppy, but could perk up and, and have expression in them, and uh, put those all together into a marionette. And I didn't know what to call it, and I asked my partner, David, I said, uh, what do you think, what should I call this, this dog? And he looked at me and said, well, I think it looks like taffy to me. And he didn't know, but the collie that I was raised with, her name was Taffy. <laughs> and I said, perfect. Great story. And uh, so that was my dog. And she went into the show and she was immediate hit. Because on the cruise ships, people miss their pets. And she's a very realistic dog. She's not anthropomorphized in any way. She, she just does everything a real dog does. And uh, so, and we would even take her around and I would walk her through the audience during captain's uh, farewell cocktail parties and stuff like that. She'd hop up in people's laps and, and one passenger goes, oh, I'm allergic to dogs. And I'd say, <laughs> artificial dogs. <laughs> <laughs> That's the greatest compliment ever, isn't it though? Yeah, exactly. No, people would forget completely. 
that I was there. And that was always the magic about her. And Tommy Toon saw her and put her in the musical Busker Alley in place of a trained dog. And um, the Sherman Brothers did the music. And they used yep. to go out and like to listen to the audience uh, during the intermission to what their comments would be. And Taffy had a wonderful musical number with, with uh, a lady in the, in the show. And uh, um, Marcia Lewis is her name. And it was just a lie. It was called the Hula Love Song. And Marcia would be doing hula stuff and the dog would be reacting to her. And at one point she'd throw her hips and the dog would fall over dead. <laughs> and there would be like a rim shot with the, with the uh, drums. And then she'd go, hey! And the dog would jump up again and, and start performing with her. And they were buskers on a street corner doing this. And it almost stopped the show every night with, with Marsha and the dog. And uh, I loved doing that. But anyway, Tommy, the minute he saw Tommy, he said, that's Mate. Mate was the name of the character in the show. And she went in. And the Sherman brothers, listening to people in the lobby, people would say, how did they get that dog to do all of the choreography exactly with the music? Like I wasn't there. So, Great compliment. <laughs> dressed as a busker, but all in black. So I just kind of would blend into the shadows a little bit. But people accept the concept on stage. And if a puppet is, has enough life to it, then it doesn't matter what's going on around it. They believe in that character. And I've gotten um, cast as dogs ever since in, in theater shows. <laughs> so I've done three different theater shows that had dogs in it. And Taffy has been in a couple of those. But the last one I, I did, it was a um, um, Labrador Retriever. So it was a large dog that I had to do as a marionette on stage. But the same type of thing, you, you deliver that performance as a dog and people accept that they, you, you don't exist as a puppeteer on stage. Really quick, I have two lines of questions. First of all, Sherman Brothers, if, you, if our audience doesn't know, if you have a Disney song that you hum around, a classic Disney song, they wrote it. <laughs> Second, my two, I have two questions. One, do you hang out with the old Crow Medicine show? Because I've seen them live probably three times. <laughs> no, I've never been able to hold... Uh, hang out with them but i would love to i, I think what they do is wonderful i uh, yeah i love the band okay i've got a hat down here that i sometimes wear that's an old crow this is a yes, really odd a wagon question. wheel yes this is an odd question because i've always been fascinated about cruise ships i've had friends who've worked on cruise ships you work what one two hours what do you do do you go out and explore the rest of the time yes you're on your own Fantastic. Yep. No wonder Depends you love on the ship, it. But usual ships are, you're a guest entertainer. So you come on and you have all the privileges of a guest, but uh, you, you just do your shows. And I used to do a lecture as well, where I, it was called Behind the Strings. And I would talk about what I'm talking about with you. I would say what it was like to, right. to build the puppets. I would show the process of building in a video. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would demonstrate the puppets that they'd seen during the week and, and uh, tell them, you know, what, what is the process that I have to go through to get them to perform. And uh, people love that as much as my show. But, so that was an extra thing I would do on the ships. And then sometimes I would do the, these parties where I would bring Taffy around because, like I said, she became my will ambassador. Everybody knows me from that dog. 
if I went on a cruise ship again, and there were people on there who had seen me at some point, the first thing they would say is, where's Taffy? Right. <laughs> it's fantastic. Sorry, I just had to ask that very obscure question. But All right, gentlemen, in the interest of time, we have any more? James, you got any uh, questions? Real, real quick, I, I wanted to say, so you did the puppeteer work for a short film, Cosmic Fling, which I think is yes. coming out this year. I, I yes. saw that, and, and I was wondering, uh, is that showing at film festivals, or where would that yes, be? Yes, it's going to be at the Newport Beach Film Festival uh, coming up. Um, it's, it already won an award. Uh, shoot, I wish I could remember which festival it was, but it won Best Animated Short at, at a film festival. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. Again, it was an experience of, of there were uh, people involved in trying to do a short film and they were trying to figure out if they should do it with stop motion puppets or if they should do just animation or, and then somebody suggested to them marionettes because it was a space film. And of course, marionettes can do all the floating and the anti-gravity look. And uh, so I was asked to be a part of that and I was really happy to do it, it was fun. And they sent me the puppet. Somebody else had built the puppet. So again, they sent me the puppet so I could do any modifications to it so that it worked exactly the way I wanted it to work and I would feel comfortable performing with it. All of the marionettes are finely tuned instruments. Right. So it's a matter of I really have to tune something before I ever want to put it in front of an, a camera or in front of an audience. I want to make sure that it's, it's going to be working exactly right. Well, Philip, is there anything else you'd like to talk about or any other projects you have coming up? Um, we will tweet the hell out of it. Most of my projects have all been canceled. Unfortunately, I was going to be in Germany for a good portion of this year, and they've all been canceled or, or just postponed. Uh, I do every, uh, I've done several times the Hansa Variety Theater in, in Hamburg. And it's one of the oldest variety theaters in the world. It's been going straight for 130 years. And uh, it's, it's all variety acts with an MC in the show. And they run the show for five months straight during the winter. So that's when everybody wants to go be inside. And I've done that two different contracts before and I was scheduled to do it at the end of this year. And now they said, well, we're gonna postpone it until October of 2021 because of the COVID because obviously these smaller theaters, they can't open at all because they wouldn't be able to afford to do it. Well, if it makes you feel any better, we moderate a lot for Comic Cons and conventions and our whole lives have been put on hold as well. I just got another cancellation about two hours ago, so. Yeah, I worry about all my fellow artists. It's really tough right now. It's tough. And there's especially uh, a one puppeteer friend in Chicago, he's actually doing things that are like, uh, it's like a, a telegram and uh, he's hired to go to a house. He's outside the house, outside the front porch. He sets up his little stage and he does a performance. And <laughs> that's in Chicago and he's now being hired to do that. So it's just like for the family in the house, they can come out on the porch and everybody can social distance and everything and he can do his show. And that's fantastic. And that's a wonderful idea. And that's it. We have to be creative like that. And all I've been doing is I can't perform because I don't have the right equipment to to present things the way I would want to yep. professionally. So I can't do my acts, but I can I can share what I do. I, I do these interviews. I do workshops as well where I talk about 
puppets and how they work and I demonstrate things and give uh, exercises they can do with marionettes. So I, I want to keep the uh, art alive and vibrant even during this time as much as oh, possible. So if someone wanted to schedule a workshop with you, could they, they would go to Huber, um, hubermarionettes.com? Well, yeah, they can do that. We haven't, I haven't done that yet. I haven't really opened it up for private. Uh, it's through Handmade Puppet Dreams okay. on Facebook that I did this workshop. And they tied it in with uh, Cosmic Fling. So what they were trying to do was do a behind the scenes of the performers that are in the various uh, puppet shorts that they've done. And uh, so that's why they asked me to do this workshop. And now they've asked me to do another one. So I will do a, a progression. The first one was called a, a marionette manipulation primer. <laughs> and uh, this next one will be a little bit more advanced, but they're planning to re-air my first one right before it. So people can we'll get be sure to share the program. Yeah. <laughs> and I also believe, uh, believe uh, hubermarionettes.com, you also do a merchandise section where somebody, if they needed their own taffy, is that yes. available? It is available. Uh, uh, when we were doing the Broadway show with Tommy Toon, they wanted to be able to sell taffy marionettes out in the lobby, and we wanted that. And unfortunately, the show didn't, didn't make it all the way to Broadway. It closed right before because Tommy broke his foot when he, in the show. Uh -huh. And so the whole show closed down because he was the star. Everything was built around him. But anyway, uh, I continued to work on that and I created a, a, a simpler marionette, a commercially made marionette that works as a professional one though. And it, it has only 11 strings. Taffy herself has 20 strings. That's a lot simpler to use. And uh, so we put that together and it took about six years to develop this and have them mass produced. Mm -hmm. And each one had to be handmade in the United States. So I was sure that they would work right. And I test each one and then sign the control. But we sell those. They're called Pick of the Litter. <laughs> litter. And we had 1,000 of them made. So I have those whenever people, and they can find those at our, our website. And they're also on Etsy and they're also on um, eBay. Okay. Etsy Bye. and uh, eBay. And either way, they can look you up on both of those, right? Philip Huber? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Philip Huber on the. On Facebook, they can find me. Yeah. Okay. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure. We've had a wonderful time, gentlemen, right? I was going to say thank you. And literally, it's very educational. From <laughs> the, the bottom of my heart, sincerely, my my son is obsessed with puppetry. I'm, and, and it's been my father. It's one of the things my dad was always one of those uh, loud, angry dads. Uh, but there was something about certain shows and you mentioned sound of music my father has this weird obsession with sound of music and it's because of the marionette scene i can remember yeah. literally it was the only time you could talk through the rest of the movie he could care less but during the marionette scene, he he, he literally would say they're getting ready to sing about the goats Shut up. <laughs> uh, and, and so i just want to again sincerely from the bottom of my heart thank you for taking this time it, it means a lot to me like like we've said we've been trying to get people who did puppetry and marionettes on the show so sincerely, thank you for this. I greatly appreciate it. Well, it's been my pleasure. I'm happy to share with you my knowledge, my stories, whatever. It was All a right. pleasure. Thanks, Philip. This has been Bonehead Weekly.
Brrr.